please take your Bibles, turn with me at this time to the Gospel of Matthew, or Matthew chapter 27. We're going to be looking at verses 45 through 56. Our message series is called Lead Me to the Cross. We've been following Jesus' final footsteps to the cross of Calvary. Last week, we uh, came to the cross itself as Jesus was led through the streets of Jerusalem to Mount Calvary, uh, where he was crucified between two thieves. We looked at Jesus' sufferings on the cross. We, We saw that the greatest suffering occurred at the cross because the greatest price was paid at the cross. Now today we come to Jesus' death on the cross. And and in this death we especially focus on Jesus as the Son of God. And we'll be looking at the whole passage during the course of the message. Uh, But as we begin, I'm just going to read verse 54 for us. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely, he was the Son of God. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we join the centurion and others around the cross today, as we look into these sacred scriptures surrounding the death of our Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. We ask that you would uh, minister to us and help us to enter more deeply into the sufferings and death of our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. now in these final passages of Matthew to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. These are the three things that Paul calls the matters of first importance when it comes to the gospel. Last week we looked at the many ways that Jesus suffered at the cross, and today we want to focus uh, not so much on Jesus' sufferings uh, as his death. Jesus' sufferings were an essential part of his work on the cross, but then so was his death. Remember, Jesus told his disciples he must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Both are important. If Jesus had died without suffering, the full price for our sins would not have been paid. But if he had 
uh, suffered without dying, uh, the price would not have been paid either. And Matthew especially focuses on Jesus as God's Son in these verses. And so today, as we look at Jesus' death on the cross, we will do that through the lens of Jesus' sonship. Jesus is the Son of God who was forsaken, attested, and affirmed at his death. There's an outline in your worship guide. I I really would encourage you to take that out at this time, to to follow along. It will help you as we walk our way through the message today. And first, we see that the Son of God was forsaken. The Son of God was forsaken at the cross by the Father. Now, we looked at these verses last week as part of the spiritual sufferings of Christ. But I want us to look at them again now in view of Christ's sonship. And the important detail to notice here is that Jesus cries out, my God, rather than my Father. Have you ever noticed that before? Let's take a look at it, verses 45 and 46. From the sixth hour, that's 12 noon, until the ninth hour, 3 p.m., darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, as we saw last week, darkness in the Bible is a sign of judgment. And this particular darkness was a sign of God's judgment for sin. It was a darkness that was prophesied in the Old Testament. God said in the book of Amos, chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, he said, in that day, I will make the sun go down, when? At noon. And darken the earth in broad daylight. And I will make that time like the morning for an only sun. And the end of it like a bitter day. Notice the reference to the morning for an only son, God's only son, who died on the cross for us, the sonship of Jesus at his death. It was during these three hours of darkness that Jesus, the son of God, suffered the full wrath of God for our sins. And so Jesus cries out now, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus has always spoken of God as his father. He has always addressed God as his father in prayer. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was suffering in the garden, he addressed God as his father. But you see, at this moment, right now, Jesus is forsaken by the father, and so he cries out, my God, instead. This is the first and only time Jesus does not address God as his Father in prayer. Matthew tells us that those standing there misunderstood him. Look at verses 47 to 49 now. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, well, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick. He offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, oh, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. 
When Jesus cried out, Eloi, which means my God, Eloi sounds like Elijah. They misunderstood him. Jesus had very little strength left. He may have been difficult to, to understand. One of those nearby went and got him something to drink, and the rest mocked him. They said, just leave him alone. We'll see if Elijah comes to save him. They misunderstood what Jesus was saying. How many people still misunderstand Jesus? How many do not understand what Jesus was doing on the cross? Let's make it personal. Do you understand what Jesus did on the cross for you? Do you understand why he was forsaken by his Father in heaven? And it wasn't because Jesus had done anything wrong. It was all for you. He took your sins upon himself. He was forsaken for your sins, not for anything he had done himself. Those standing there misunderstood what Jesus said on the cross. Please, don't you misunderstand it. Jesus is the Son of God who was forsaken by the Father for you and for me. So first we see the Son of God forsaken at the cross, but next we see the Son of God attested at the cross. Attested at the cross. And the first witness that Jesus is the Son of God comes from Jesus' own lips. As he cries out in a loud voice, we see this verse 50, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Now you notice Matthew doesn't tell us what he said. We have four Gospels, don't we? And the Gospel writers John and Luke do. And John tells us that Jesus first cried out these words. It is finished. It is finished. It is a word that means paid in full. Jesus cried out, it is finished. Why? Because the work he came to earth to accomplish was now done. Jesus was born into our world as a man. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross in obedience to the Father, and he paid the full penalty for our sins by receiving the full wrath of the Father for sin at the cross. And so when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he was saying his work was done. The penalty for sin was paid in full, and very important, that he was now restored in fellowship with his Father. And we see that restoration to fellowship in the very next words that Jesus cries out. Luke tells us what these final words were, the Gospel of Luke. He said this now, Father, isn't that beautiful? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And notice Jesus calls God his Father. Once again, as the obedient son, he completed the work the father sent him to do. No longer forsaken, Jesus attests that, yes, he is the son of God. With his very last words from the cross, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. His suffering was completed. And the only thing left for him to do now was to die. 
Jesus attests that he is the Son of God through his words, and then he also attests that he is the Son of God through his actions. Because Matthew tells us that after he gave that loud cry, what did he do? He gave up his spirit. In other words, Jesus chose. Jesus chose the precise moment of his death. Remember, we said that Jesus was the one in charge every step of the way to the cross. And you know, none of that changed when he was actually on the cross. Christ actively suffered the just punishment for our sins. And when the full payment was made, he didn't just die. He willingly gave up his spirit, further attesting that he was the son of God. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus told the people, he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. No one took Jesus's life from him. No one forced him to go to the cross. No one forced him to stay on the cross. At any time, he could have called on legions of angels to rescue him and they would have. Because he is, as the son of God, he commands the angels. They would have responded immediately. Remember last week we saw how the people mocked Christ as he hung on the cross? They said things like, let him come down from the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now if God wants him. Because he said what? I am the son of God. You see, the people thought Jesus coming down from the cross would prove that he was the Son of God. But here's the truth of the matter. It was Jesus remaining on the cross that showed he was truly God's Son. Jesus went to the cross in obedience to his Father, and he stayed on the cross in obedience to to his father. He stayed on the cross out of his love for you. As someone once put it, it was not the nails, but his love that held him there. And at the very moment of his choosing, he gave up his spirit. No one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down of his own accord as the Son of God. He had authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. He said, I received this authority from my Father because Jesus is the Son of God. And so Jesus not only attested his sonship with his lips, but also with his actions. And when he had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, fulfilling that last requirement that sin exacts from us all. He died. He died for our sins. Jesus was attested as the Son of God by the final words from his lips, by his final action of giving up his spirit, but then also he was attested as the Son of God by the miraculous signs that accompanied his death. We see this in the next verses, verses 51 to 53. 
At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So just as there was this miraculous sign of the darkness showing that Jesus was suffering the full punishment for our sins, now we have these three miraculous signs that took place at the time of his death, attesting that he truly was the Son of God. And the first miraculous sign was the the curtain of, of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. Uh, This curtain's three feet feet thick, 60 feet high. You're going to reach up there and tear it down from the top to the bottom? No, this is a miraculous sign. Someone reached down to tear it from the top to the bottom, didn't they? This was God's work. This curtain guarded the entrance to the innermost chamber of the temple. It signified that we are separated from God by our sins. But when God tore that curtain from the top to the bottom, God was showing that the way back to him has been opened for us now through the death of his son. And Matthew tells us this happened when? Right at the moment of Jesus' death, showing that these two events are clearly connected. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament also connects the tearing of the curtain with the death of Jesus. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, we have confidence now to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. That's the first miraculous sign. Secondly, the earth shook and the rocks split. And this was a sign of God's mighty power and his presence. It was also a sign of warning and judgment. Now, someone might say, well, an earthquake is, is not a miracle in itself. Earthquakes happen all the time. Yeah, but the timing of this earthquake is the miracle, isn't it? Right there, right then, right at the moment of Jesus' death. And then thirdly, this is pretty wild, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people were raised to life. And they go into the city and they appear to people. And the wording here is mysterious, but I believe we are meant to understand it this way, that the resurrection of those believers did not take place until after Jesus was raised. The Bible elsewhere calls Jesus the first fruits of those raised from the dead. And so I, I believe we should read it this way. It says, you know, the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open, period. And then we can read, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And so the earthquake and the opening of the tombs that happens right as Jesus dies as a precursor of Christ's resurrection, then after Jesus was raised, then a number of these others were were immediately raised also in anticipation, a, a sort of a sneak preview, preview of coming attractions of the great resurrection that will take place when Christ returns. 
Now, these things don't normally happen when a person dies, do they? In fact, none of these things had happened before. None of them have ever happened again. I suppose there could be a a random earthquake someplace around the time that someone dies, but the tearing of the curtain, that is a one-time historical event. The resurrection of the dead saints, that will certainly not happen again until Christ returns. And these signs have meaning for us. The torn curtain shows us that Jesus conquered sin. The opened tombs and the resurrection of the believers shows us that Jesus conquered death. And so, yes, Jesus was forsaken as the Son of God on the cross as he paid the penalty for our sins. But once the full price was paid, Jesus was then attested as the Son of God by his own words, by his actions, and by these miraculous signs that accompanied his death. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was attested. And finally, Jesus was affirmed as the Son of God by the centurion and others who were there with him at the cross. First, we come to the centurion's words. We we read this verse earlier, verse 54, when the centurion... And those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and, and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. You probably know that the number seven is a pretty important number in the Bible. It's the number of perfection or completion. This is now the seventh time that Jesus has been affirmed as the Son of God in Matthew's Gospel. And what a variety of people who gave testimony. God the Father affirmed Jesus as the Son of God at his baptism, and then again at the transfiguration. The demons affirmed Jesus as the Son of God when he met them among the tombs. The disciples affirmed Jesus as the Son of God when he stilled the wind and the waves. Peter affirmed Jesus as the Son of God when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Jesus affirmed that he was the Son of God at his trial before Caiaphas. And now the centurion and those guarding Jesus see all of these miraculous signs that accompany Jesus' death, and they affirm the same. Surely he was the Son of God. James Montgomery Boyce, a wonderful preacher, makes the point that there were actually five miracles associated with Christ's death at the cross. He says, first of all, you had the darkening of the sky, then the tearing of the curtain, then the the earthquake that opened many of the tombs, and then the resurrection of the many holy people who had died. And then he lists number five, the cry of the centurion, who said of Jesus when he saw these things, Surely he was the Son of God. And then Boyce comments, this last was the greatest miracle of all. A word of faith from an unlikely person. There were other witnesses there that day. Matthew mentions the women who watched all these things. Watched from a distance. Verses 55 and 56, many women were there watching. From a distance, they they had followed Jesus from Galilee 
to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the, the mother of Zebedee's sons. That's James and John, the disciples. These are the women who ministered to Christ while he was alive. These are the women who watched as he suffered and died. These are the women who will watch again to see where he is buried. These are the women who will return to his tomb early on Sunday morning, seeking to anoint his body with perfumes and spices. They were the last of Jesus' followers at the cross and the first at his tomb. They were the final witnesses of Jesus' death on Good Friday and the first witnesses of his glorious resurrection on Easter morning. Jesus is the Son of God who was forsaken, attested, and affirmed at his death. He was forsaken by the Father and misunderstood by the people as he suffered God's wrath and paid the full penalty for our sins. He was attested as the Son of God through his final words and actions and by the miraculous signs that accompanied his death. He was affirmed as the Son of God through the words of the centurion and the witness of the women who watched from a distance. If Jesus was just an ordinary man, then it would not have mattered that he died on the cross. Many had died before him, many would die afterwards. But if Jesus is the Son of God who was forsaken by the Father when he died on the cross for you, then that makes all the difference in the world. We sang that song earlier in the service. We sang to Jesus, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I am alive and well. Your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. Jesus would rise again on the third day. The final proof of his sonship. But for now, Jesus had died. His followers mourned while his enemies rejoiced. Judas was filled with remorse and hung himself. The angels held their breath, and the whole world waited. Jesus went to the cross and conquered sin and death and hell. But oh, what a price he paid. May we stand in awe of the work of Jesus, the Son of God. This morning, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are eternally grateful for the sacrifice you made for us at the cross, the sufferings you endured, your final death as you 
willingly gave up your spirit at the time of your choosing. You are the Son of God who was forsaken by your Father. But when the price was paid, you were attested as the Son of God and affirmed as the Son of God. And we affirm the same today. We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came for us and for our salvation. And we commit ourselves to following you. Lord, lead us to the cross. Help us to carry the cross as we deny ourselves and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.